Hi, this is Dan. Just a quick note before the podcast begins. Towards the end of the podcast, you'll notice a change in the audio. We lost power and internet uh, for just a couple of minutes. Edited that out, but you're still going to notice a change in the audio. Thanks a lot and enjoy. Blue Courage, protecting and serving those that protect and serve. And let the truth be understood Take all my prized possessions And leave only what I need Take all my pieces of doubt And let me be what's underneath Well, good morning, and welcome to our inaugural Blue Courage podcast. Uh, I am Dan Schmer, uh, one of the founding members and uh, lead instructors in, in Blue Courage, one of the master trainers. And I happen to be joined today uh, by a good friend of mine, uh, a longtime uh, law enforcement uh, policing professional, uh, Major Chip Huth. Uh, many of our Blue Courage uh, folks will uh, feel like they know Chip. Uh, we tell a Chip story in almost every class we do. And Chip, just so you know, I don't know if you know which story we tell, but but we tell the the story of uh, uh, mom getting off the bus and coming down the street and and, and that kind of stuff. And we, we use that in our practical wisdom module uh, to demonstrate uh, uh, you know the the ability to to learn to be practically wise. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Chip, and then I'm going to let uh, Chip talk to us here for for just a little bit. Uh, I've had the, the pleasure to know and, and call Chip my friend for, for, for 20 years, and over 20 years. Uh, I can remember uh, coming to the, to the academy uh, as an instructor, and, and Chip was here as one of our lead defensive tactics instructors. And, and watching the way that, that Chip uh, taught defensive tactics, and it was different than the way it was when, when I went through the academy. But, but Chip is a nationally recognized use of force uh, expert. Um, he uh, is uh, one of the leaders of the National Law Enforcement Training Center, a not-for-profit company that, that trains law enforcement trainers uh, from around the world in to be defensive tactics instructors. Uh, he uh, has been a uh, TAC officer and a TAC supervisor uh, in, in those roles, and you know many of our Blue Courage folks know that from, from his story uh, that we share. Uh, he uh, has been a, uh, he, a captain on our department, and captains 
uh, on the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department uh, are watch commanders uh, and then uh, usually unit commanders. Uh, what, Chip, maybe a year and a half ago? Has it been that long that you got promoted to, to, to major? It's actually, it's going to be two years. Two years. Yeah, actually, I'm sorry, it was two years. Okay. In April. It's in in April. So, yeah, t two and a half years ago, promoted to, to major. And, and on the Kansas City Police Department, majors are what we call division commanders. Um, many organizations will call them precinct commanders, uh, division commanders, uh, so they could uh, command the training division or, or something like that. Um, also, and so again, I tell you this stuff about Chip, so that that you understand that yes, um, uh, the tactic side of, of Chip is is very very strong, and he brings that to the table. But Chip is also one of these guys, and that uh, I call scary smart dudes, hmm. because not only does he have that side of him, but he also has the ability. Uh, he, he's he's one of the people that motivated me, and I don't even know if you know this, motivated me to go back to, to school and finish my degrees. I walked into the training room one day, and Chip was sitting there doing uh, uh, geometry or algebra or something in, in, the, in the training room and that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, that's I really should be doing that. And, and so he's got that side of him too, very cerebral guy, uh, very deep thinker, and, and we're very, very uh, appreciative of Chip taking – uh, time out of his busy day to, to, to spend the next 30 or 40 minutes uh, with us. Um, Chip, anything to, to kick us off here? Well, uh, you know, not that I could think of. I mean, that was quite an introduction. After hearing that introduction, I thought I'd be taller. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm honestly just so grateful and so humbled to be a part of this inaugural podcast, kicking off what I'm certain is going to be uh, such a rich learning experience down the road for all the people that tune in. Um, and just the fact that you called me and asked me, Dan, I just, uh, you know, I flattered about it. I went home and told Shelly, you know, I said, hey, you're not going to believe this, you know, because, you know, we lose, you know, we lose track of each other yeah, over sure. time in a sense, right? I mean, like I see you, I see you fairly intermittently. You're traveling a lot. You know, you got a lot going on. Blue Courage is, is really, is really accomplishing some really neat things. You know, it's all around. Everywhere I go, I hear about Blue Courage, you know, and, uh, and then, you know, so we lose touch. And then here you call me and we have lunch and then you, you invite me to do this. And it's just, man, I'm. I'm still not really taking it all in. I'm a little, little, little bit blown away by it. So thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. Well, let's get this started because our, our time is limited here. And let, let, let's get into to this conversation. I've got some questions here, yeah. but usually when Chip and I sit down, the, <laughs> the conversations uh, uh, go the, the, the way they go, and, and they're, they're very rarely scripted. Uh, another thing about Chip is he is also a, a senior consultant for the Arbinger Institute. And we brought the Arbinger Institution and, and their their teaching and, and their learning into to the police department, uh, pu pushing 10 plus years ago. And, and Chip really took that uh, uh, to heart in, in a lot of different ways. And so, um, Chip, l let's start with, with talking about this idea of, of way of being. Sure. Um, in, in Blue Courage, our definition starts with, Blue Courage is a way of being. Um, and so, for starters, tell, tell everybody that's listening what this idea of way of being is and really what it means to you. Yeah, well, good. Well, so for me, you know, there's a distinction that needs to be made between what you do and how you are. You know, I think Blue Courage does a really good job with that, of, of talking about those high core values and how they're woven into our, to our essence, right? Um, and so... Um, you know, the ex existentialists would say that existence precedes essence, 
Um, I, don't, I don't know that I completely agree with that, but, but I, would, I, would, I would tend to think that there's something very authentic and true that's woven into your being, and that you can suppress that, right, uh, through your behavior, but ultimately people respond to that unseen thing more than they respond to what you're doing. So uh, maybe a way of, of understanding that would be that people don't respond primarily to what you do, they respond primarily to how they're feeling seen by you while you're doing it, right? Yeah. And, and, and so for me, way of being, it's that distinction between who we are and what we do. And at the behavioral level, that's, those are the things that we see, right? But we know that there's, there's, there's different ways you can engage in almost any behavior. You know, in Arbinger speak, we would tend to think that I can engage in almost any behavior in one of two ways. Recognizing you as a person that has intrinsic value, hopes, needs, fears, dreams, things like that, or seeing you merely as an object to be manipulated within the context of my life or my, my scenario. And so for me, way of being, it's, it's your authentic self, right? And working on that, 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 that really, you know, uh, it's been said you don't see the world the way, you don't see the world as it is, you see the world as you are. So working on that way of being piece is really working on who you are and, and tuning, fine-tuning your paradigms and your filters so that when you're looking at the world, you're, you're really alive to the core truth about others. And the reason that's so important is we're all networked together, and as far as I can tell, uh, in ways we don't fully understand. Which means, uh, and I think this is so relative to law enforcement, that every contact we have with every person is significant. And, and it's, it's significant well beyond our ability to fully appreciate the significance. Which really makes way of being so, so important. Because I may only have five minutes to interact with you. And so I really need to get the most out of that interaction, especially considering that the ways that I impact you are often unseen. And the results of those contacts, the result of that conversation or that maybe that, that time that I'm helpful to you, you know, the impact of that downstream can't be predicted. So uh, for me, that's, that's, that's the way I would kind of, uh, you know, without taking okay. up the whole, no, the and, whole time and, and talking we, we, about way we, of being. We could talk about way of being <laughs> yeah. for a couple of hours for easily. Sure, okay, sure. But, but let's take way of being and let's apply it mm. to one value principle, mm. well, okay? Mm. And you happen to write a book, co-write co a book with, mm. with our friend Jack Cowell about the idea of respect. Yes. Okay, so how does way of being and seeing someone as a person and seeing someone as an object, how does respect uh, fit into this idea of way of being? Yeah, so well, yeah, so Jack and I's book is titled, uh, you know, Unleashing the Power of Unconditional Respect. And so the idea, the idea there is simply this, you know, we tend to look at respect as a mere behavior. Like I'm going to speak respectfully or I'm going to act respectfully. And, and Jack and I wanted to go a little deeper with that and tying in this concept of way of being to, to, to this idea of unconditional respect. So the idea would be it's not respect in the behavioral sense. It's respect for the personhood of each person that you meet. It's that recognizing, the, recon, the, rec the recognition of that core truth that you and I, as we sit here today, at some level of analysis, we are fundamentally the same. So, so the idea would be like, you could be intellectually superior to me, uh, you could be morally superior to me, but at some level of analysis, you're not essentially superior to me. And it's at that level of analysis that we should begin all of our interactions, right? And so unconditional respect is, it's respect for you as a person. I may not agree with the things that you do, and, and, and as a matter of fact, I may be morally or legally or socially obligated to object to the things that you do, but I can honor your personhood by recognizing that core truth about you. And that, in, that, that characterizes 
the whole of our interactions, right, at an unspoken level. So for us, you know, we realized real quickly, looking around, you know, empirically, talking with you and other people that are very, very uh, thoughtful around these things, we realized really quickly that if I'm, if I'm seeing you as less than a person, I'm not respecting that, that, that intrinsic value that you have, that intrinsic ability to impact everything around you, um, then what I'm doing actually is I'm not seeing you as you are. And, and because I'm not seeing you as you are, I can't respond to you in, in a real effective way, right? I'm responding to a virtual truth about you. And so that's dangerous in a yeah. lot of ways, right? I mean, that's where we see officers, they, you know, they look at someone and they see instead of a person, an elderly man. Instead of a person, a young juvenile. Instead of a person, a pregnant female. And it turns out that pregnant female, elderly man, or young person is not the most important thing about those people, right? That's a, that's a, that's a variable about them, right? But like your race, your sex, your age, those aren't the most important qualities about you. Those are just things about you, right? Those are just attributes. But the most right. important thing about you is that you're a person. And, and being able to respect that personhood makes us safer and obviously more interpersonally effective. I, it's funny that you bring up officer safety mm. because that's, you know, that's one of the, when we talk about respect, that's one of the pushbacks that, that we often get is, you know, I think people want to, to equate being respectful as being nice. Mm. And one of the s stories that, that I, when I introduce you in, in class, um, you know, one of the things that, that I tell people about you is, is and I'll never forget you, you saying this, is that when we make the decision to use force, mm. We don't ever kind of hit anybody, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we deliver with as much professionalism and yeah. vehemence as we can deliver. Yeah. In your words, in other words, if you make the decision to hit somebody with a baton, yeah. you swing for the fences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, so and we have to be careful as we're talking about this. We can't. We don't want to drift into what Wittgenstein called language games, right? You know, we're not we're not trying to like dance around this thing. But the idea is simply this: look. Um, it would be less than respectful of your humanity, ergo your threat potential, for me to hit you half speed. If you're posing an objective threat, for me to for, give you a love tap, right, that I'm not respecting your adversarial potential, which is part of your humanity. I mean, I know it sounds kind of ironic, but in order to have unconditional respect for an adversary, you've got to take them seriously. And if you take them seriously, you're not going to use half measures. So there is, again, it's not about what we do. Hitting someone may be the most professional, respectful, and honoring thing to do, given the context. Because don't, don't forget, we're not only obligated to that person. We're obligated to everyone else that person affects or potentially threatens, right? Sure. So it is, that's a nuanced conversation. And that's something you understand clearly because we've talked about it. But I'm telling you, getting people to understand that, right? It's so, well, we've been raised, you know, culturally to, to equate respect with kindness. And indeed making matters a little more muddy, oftentimes when you're respectful to someone, it does come out as kindness, right? Uh, but not always. Right. It's deeper than kindness. Kindness is a behavior, right? And sometimes, well, with your children, and you and I have talked a lot about children, and you've raised a hell of a son uh, in Michael, um, you know, there were times when you had to confront him mm -hmm. and challenge him. To and it wasn't, day. well, yeah, well, there it is, <laughs> right? But, but, yeah. but it wasn't, look, it, an outsider looking in, um, you know, if they if they didn't consider the context would see that as harsh right like well dan's not being kind he's actually challenging the kid and trying to get him to do better right he's correcting him but you're being respectful and you're being honoring his humanity because why well you love him enough to want him to be able to realize his best the best version of himself 
And the way you do that is by guiding him through all these things that you've already been through, right, and giving him that wisdom, uh, you know, the practical wisdom, as you say, and yeah. courage, right? Yeah. And I think part of it, too, was even when I made mistakes in parenting, you know, as we talk in, in, uh, in Seven Habits, you know, <laughs> I built up the emotional bank account enough that, that when I made mistakes with him, and I did, as all parents do, I didn't bankrupt that account, you know, because if the only thing he ever saw out of me was the discipline side of being a parent, if the only thing communities ever see out of us is the outward force of policing, you know, then, then, then we have no bank with them. Yeah. And, and I, I think often that's, that's where we run into to, to challenges. And we haven't talked about this Chip, so I, I may be throwing you a little bit of a curveball. But one of the things that we're really starting to discuss in Blue Courage is the difference between respect and dignity. Mm. And, you know, I guess off the top of your head here, mm. what do you think about the differences mm -hmm. between those two words? Yeah, well, so what, well, I think you got to come at it from two different directions. And you're right, we haven't talked about this, so I'm going to kind of stumble forward toward <laughs> toward an answer. But but I think about dignity as being something that that I owe you, like meaning that that like you have a certain level of dignity. It's predicated on the way you perceive yourself in relation to the world and others. Okay, so that's a personal feeling you have. It, it's how you regard yourself. So you could think about it as being linked with with pride but not necessarily the kind of pride that precedes the fall, right? It's all, it's a dichotomy as well. But, but, but if I can actually do things to rupture or insult your sense of dignity by the way that I treat you, right? So if I honor that sense of dignity, if I honor that, 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 that idea about you, that you have some type of, of self-respect, right? Some esteem for yourself that is healthy and positive. I can attack that in all kinds of ways. I can attack your, the image you have of yourself uh, I, I can challenge it by the way that I treat you, right? Uh, you know, you, you could feel, uh, well, you, I could injure you without physically injuring you. I could swing at you with my heart, let's say. Um, so that's when I think about dignity, that's what I think. When I think about respect, respect is something that I manifest outwardly toward others. So it's like, it's my respect for your dignity. It's what I give. It's the, it's the kind of the opposite of dignity it's how I respond to you you respond to your sense of dignity dignity is what you feel and respects how I respond and resp how I respond to your sense of dignity that, that sounds a little muddy when I say it out loud I have to really wrestle with that yeah. a little bit but okay but but that, that's what I think about it I think about dignity as being an internal thing and respect as being something you experience from others okay if that makes sense yeah yeah. You guys will do so much better with that well, when you start working it out, right? Well, and, yeah. and, and, and we, we've been wrestling around with it. And so that, that, I think that's a, an interesting idea uh, to, to start to, to add that in, into our conversation. Howard and I, um, one of our other master trainers who, who's on the, the Zoom call with us, he and I come at this in completely polar opposite. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, as we think about it. I think that uh, giving people the basic human dignity mm -hmm. that they're all entitled to mm -hmm. because they are human, mm -hmm. flawed as we all are, leads us to the ability to actually have respect for people. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, now Howard comes about it from the other side. If we are respectful and truly have respect, then it allows us to give people the dignity that they're entitled to. And I don't know if either one of us is right, yeah, well. but I think both sides of that conversation have, have merit. And I am becoming more and more convinced 
that those two ideas of respect and dignity go hand in hand with mm. one another. Mm. And that this idea, and, and, and you said it, I treat somebody with dignity, but do I actually have that, the way of being, of yeah. having dignity and, well, and, and expressing that to, to, to them? And what I was thinking about was not so much treating them with dignity. I was thinking about treating them with respect. I didn't articulate that as well. Treating them with respect in response to their inherent dignity, the dignity they have, the way that they present themselves in the yeah. world, the way they see themselves. Everybody has an image or a way that they see themselves, right? Some of them are unhealthy, but 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 at, at the healthiest level, I think it manifests as dignity uh, in some way. I mean, you take you take personal pride in the work product you put out, right? And then for, for so so I don't have to agree with how you go about doing that or how you go about completing your your vision for being helpful to others, but I. But I, I think I do. I think I am, by virtue of the fact you're a dignified human being, I am required to have respect for that opinion, right? We can disagree, uh, but I, I, I am required to have respect for that, for that opinion and, 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 and to acknowledge that it has value, right. right? Right. And so it's interesting, but you guys, you and Howard, um, I don't think you're that far off because, uh, as much as it appears to be, because there's a feedback loop that occurs there, right? It's cyclic. And so, you know, it's like a chicken and the egg argument, right? You know, which comes first. And I don't think you guys are that far off. That's a really interesting perspective. I'm going to have to give some thought to it. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it over lunch yeah. uh, one of these days. Um, let's switch back in just a little bit and, and maybe go back to, to some tactics pieces. And mm. one of the things that is happening nationally, and, and I don't know if Kansas City specifically is experiencing this or not, but um, – in Blue Courage, we talk a lot about warrior versus guardian. Mm. And there, there's a lot of pushback um, from, from you know, cops saying, you know, we're not guardians, we're, we're warriors only. Mm. And you and I have had the, the conversation before about the fact that, that it's possible that we have corrupted the word warrior to mean only the, the, the tactic side of things. Mm. And even in our shield, we have the, the Spanish term or in Paz, Fierre, and Guerra, which means golden peace and, and iron in war. Mm. When, when you think, of, and that comes from the San Francisco's uh, patch that they have on, on their uniform. Mm -hmm. when, when you hear that phrase, um, iron and uh, iron war, uh, golden peace, mm -hmm. what, what kind of pops your mind? What, what's your thought process around this warrior versus guardian thing that, that we're battling right now? Yeah, I mean, there's so much there, uh, honestly, to contend with. And I, I wrote an article that I self-published on LinkedIn uh, at like 3 in the morning because I was really frustrated one morning. Don't write when you're frustrated, by the way. <laughs> uh, and, and certainly don't publish uh, when you're frustrated. Uh, <laughs> I, I, th I think that's the, the uh, Jerry Maguire lesson there. Yeah, you know? right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so it, it was in response to something that uh, – and in the article, I don't identify uh, the person, but I'll identify him now. It was Dave Grossman, who I have a lot of respect for. But it was a response to something Dave Grossman had said in a, in a huge auditorium uh, about about warriorship, and he's you know he's really educated on this in this concept, and and I know I think I know what he meant by it, you know, when he said to the group, "You are a better class of people," the, you know, and, and what he's implying is that you're a better class of people than the people you serve, and I, I just don't I think that's a dangerous idea to put in someone's head, especially someone who's got power. And, of course, in law enforcement, we have power. As a matter of fact, we, we have more power than anyone in a democratic republic. Um, if you think about it, our constitutional republic, I should say, look, I mean, we can deprive someone of their freedom. 
which is the richest thing that you have, right? It's the richest benefit you have of being in this type of a, of a government. And, and so I thought it was really dangerous, you know, to, it's not like, I, I'm pretty sure that Dave's intentions were, were really good, but, but it's not so much what we say, uh, that's, well, that's part of it, but it's how people interpret what we say, especially people that are predisposed to be uh, maybe a little bit anxious, maybe a little bit um, self-doubting, right? Especially when you're young and new and you're entering into this contentious profession. You know, you want an identity for yourself, something to ground you. And I think we have to be really careful about what that identity looks like. And I see, I, so warriorship, um, people reading that article might think I'm against that concept, and I'm not at all. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a certain sense in which I think some of the tenets that you can cull away from some of the old warrior traditions are positive. But they're most positive, in my estimation, when they're directed inward. When I de what I declare war on are my, is, is, are my fears, biases, prejudices, and loyalties that cloud my ability to see what's right. That's what I'm in battle with, right? I'm not in battle with you. I'm not in battle with the public. I'm not in battle, you know, I'm, I'm not in battle with, you know, with, with people who violate the law, right? Those are simply clients that I serve in different mediums, depending upon the context. I'm battling my own self-deception, my own sense of how I see myself in regard to my obligations and other people. I'm battling that full on, man. I'm waging war on that. Every day. Every All single day. day. That's it, right? <laughs> right. Um, but so, so it, you know, when you look at all those warrior cultures, and I've, and, and, and as a philosopher, I've studied many, many of them, from the samurai to the Spartans, and you know, that's a lot of stuff in there that you would not advocate that that law enforcement officers do or embrace. I mean, people aren't really aware of that because you know, there's not a lot with the Spartans. There's not a lot written down because they were they were truly a a, a militaristic society. Um, and a lot of people don't know they became that way because they invaded their neighbors and they enslaved them. They called them helots, uh, which, which in Greek implies, uh, you know, enslaved one. And, and, and they invaded them because they were landlocked and they couldn't, they couldn't have marine commerce. And so they invaded them and took over and enslaved them. And they had to become these tough warriors, if you will, to overcome the rebellions because they gave them enough freedom. They gave them just enough freedom that they would rebel every once in a while. They had to put them down. And this goes on and on through that culture. That's not something we would romanticize. But again, people don't know about that, right? And certain and there's certain aspects of, of, of all warrior cultures that I think we can learn from. The discipline piece, right? That rigor that you could apply to, uh, you know, developing yourself physically and mentally and spiritually. Those are all positive things. But I think we tend to, in our society, we're in a fast food society. We want immediate gratification. We want some, you know, six-minute abs, yeah. right? We don't want the long, hard path. So we take that warrior identity and we say, well, look, if I call myself a warrior, I don't really have to be that tough and capable. I don't have to grind it out every day on the weight pile, right? I don't have to do the hard stuff to really make myself formidable because I'm a warrior by virtue of my badge. It's the same problem, Dan, that I have, and I'm not going to go off on a rant here, but it's the same problem I have with us saying that the profession of law enforcement is noble. It's not the profession that's noble, right? It's the people within the profession that make it noble. You and I have a choice, right? You know, you honored your badge. You honored the spirit of what uh, it meant for your whole career. You did it the right way, man. But there are other people within our ranks who don't do that, right? They abuse their authority. They abuse other people. They, they, they basically just approach law enforcement as, 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 a, as a game that they play, right? And, and I'm telling you, that's not noble. It's not the profession that's noble. It's the, you, you're called, you have an opportunity to be noble. Right. Because of the profession, right? Right. 
And it's the same thing with the warrior guardian thing. It's all about how you conceive it. Um, it's hard to talk about those things uh, with words because words are tricky things, right? Um, you know, I, I've talked a lot with Sue Rohr uh, out in Seattle about the about the guardian uh, mindset, and she's what she struggled to do is figure out a way to get this idea across to people that we have to be tough and capable and rough and ready, but also be able to be compassionate when called for, also be able to be supportive, right? Also be able to be empathic, appropriately empathic uh, when called for. And it's that balance, that dichotomy again, that's there and exists within all of us, right? So yeah, that's a thing, man. We could talk about that too forever, yeah. right? And, and I mean, you just got back to, to the heart of what is on San Francisco's patch is that, you know, uh, Oren, Pospierre, and Guerra. You know, it's, it, it, it is, it's not one or the other, mm -hmm. it's both. And, and that, that's our philosophy. It, it's not one or the other. It's it's both of those. We we, we, we take the the best of both of those mm -hmm. to, to to make the the best policing professionals. Yeah. What what, what I see Blue Courage doing from the outside looking in is is trying to integrate all of those things. Right. You're trying to kind of weave you know this tapestry, uh, and you're trying to integrate that and both of those ideas and then many many more into many many nuances into the character of a person. So you're approaching the whole person paradigm. You're not right. just looking at you know, you know, today you're going to have to be a warrior, tomorrow you have to be a guardian. No, you're always all of these things, right? And then the context and the objectives and the limitations and the resources, they ultimately determine how that manifests behaviorally. I, I would say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in your book, you make the, you and Jack make the point that you can't hide contempt. Hmm. Uh, that, that if you have it, it it's going to come out. Um, can you discuss a little bit about how that works and, and, and how it shows itself, even when we're trying not to. Yeah, sure. Well, first off, we're social creatures. I think, uh, I, I think science has established that. Uh, you know, I think Marcus Aurelius, uh, one of the Stoic philosophers, former Roman emperor, um, he said something like, uh, we are made one for another. Either teach them better or bear with them. And, you know, even back then, they, they were recognizing that we literally are so connected and networked together as social creatures. And because of that, I think we've evolved these systems that really cue us in to when things are getting dangerous and not just physically but also psychologically and emotionally. So if you are, if you look at me and you're saying to me, yes sir, no sir, and you're saying all the right words, right, right. but you, but, but, but internally, right, at that deep, deep way of being level, you have contempt for me, it turns out that that's going to leak out of you in all kinds of unseen ways and I am perfectly equipped from an evolutionary perspective to pick up on that and I will respond to those in feelings much much quicker than what you're saying and, and so this idea that again we can disguise contempt with appropriate language I think there's no evidence to ex that exists that suggests that's true there's no evidence that would suggest that's a true thing we can do um, and, and it's evidenced by I well I, I experienced this in, in when I was a desk sergeant brand new desk sergeant um, I'm sitting on the desk and um, citizens would come in to complain and they come in they, I want to lodge a complaint against officer Schmier. okay um, well tell me what did officer Schmier do uh, well it wasn't anything that he did he's just a really horrible officer and he really gives you guys a bad name okay okay well what did officer Schmier say they think about it it really wasn't anything that he said I'm just telling you he is the worst kind of cop you need to get rid of this guy so it wasn't what he said, it wasn't what he did. What are they responding to, right? 
They're responding to that elusive thing we're talking about, right? right? Your, your inner way. Right. That's what they're responding to. So, so I do believe that's true, and I think there's plenty of, uh, you know, uh, Gottman's done research on it. Uh, there's plenty of people that have done research on, on relationships that, that indicate that these little micro-expressions, uh, when they're researching, they're using couples, obviously, which right. can be contentious, and you've seen this data. Yeah. And it's so, it's, so, it's so amazing to see how these little micro-expressions can set people off. It's not what they're saying again. It's, it's really how they're responding to that person. Yeah, and often the, the person that gave the micro-expression doesn't even realize they did mm, no, no. it. No, no, no. No clue. They well, you can it. fall into a pattern. You and I can fall into a pattern uh, with each other, an unconscious pattern. Uh, you know, and, and you've done this. I've done this. Everybody's done this. There are certain people, uh, when, when you get locked into this, this, this battle with them, that when they walk in the room, you, you have a physical response. Yes. Right, and you find yourself at meetings not looking at them, you know. You you you, you find everything just is different when they're around, right? right. And, and you know, you really got to take a look at that. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, that's coming. That's inside of you, right? It's it's hard to look at, but but it's happened to all of us, you know. I mean, it happens in my family. I've got I've got brothers that are more fun to be around than other brothers. I love all my brothers, but but there are some brothers that, that I really enjoy being around a little bit more. And that's I just won't life, ask you right? if it's Chip or, or if it's Mike or Vern. Yeah, I, I no. Well, we're not going on record with any of that. I, <laughs> I love them all equally, of course. But. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jeff, one of the things that, that we get a lot when we talk about this is, you know, this is touchy-feely stuff mm. that, 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 that we're talking about. Mm. And obviously we disagree with that. I mean, if it was really touchy-feely, everybody would be doing it, it'd be easy and, and, and that kind of stuff. How do you address the idea of, of the things that you talk about and, and even actually the, the way you lead? Mm-hmm. Um, as from this touchy-feely point of view? Yeah, it's a great question. So w- w- what we're doing, it's not about touchy-feely. It may come out again. That's a, that's a behavioral characterization. I may be kind if the context calls for it, and sometimes it does, right? Uh, but what we're trying to get people to understand is in order to be safe and effective, we need to respond to the core truth about others, right? And so I need to actually just chip away at all of these biases that I have and all of these unhelpful schemas to get to the core truth about others and then respond to that. You know, we were talking a little bit before before the podcast is I, I have to understand that at a fundamental level, I don't respond to the things that you do or say. I respond to my judgment about those things. You know, so there's actually like in between what you're doing and, and my response is my judgment, and my judgment is what I'm actually responding to. It's the story I tell myself about why you might have done X, right? Well, right. Dan clearly did this because he's a jerk, right? Right. Uh, and then I'm responding to that judgment. And so what we're trying to do is get people to understand that everybody, again, at some fundamental level of analysis, has hopes, needs, fears, dreams, things that matter to them, things they have to accomplish, recognizing that core truth. And once I start from that standpoint, it doesn't mean I excuse everything that they do. It doesn't mean that at all, but it means I can actually contend with it in a helpful way versus responding to my judgments about their character. Um, so, you know, I, I, we have long talks about this idea that, you know, the most helpful thing you can do for people sometimes is to correct them and immediately. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, look, man, uh, if my objective as a leader is to make everyone happy, first of all, that's assuming that happiness is the proper goal. Which, which I don't think it is, right? People say, well, the goal is to live a happy life. Well, then, if that's true, if the meaning of life is to be happy and life is wrought with suffering, 
and you're guaranteed to bump up against the world and you're going to get scarred up and beat up and the people you love are going to get scarred up and beat up and there's going to be times when you're not happy does that mean when you're not happy your life is meaningless or is the meaning of life to find a way to contend with the suffering that's inherent in life in a way that actually helps make you stronger and helps other people around you right push through life in spite of the suffering that's a good question. Yeah. It's an existential thing to think about. think about. But 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 at the end of the day, I think I know what the answer is for me. And and I'm going to ask you as my employee occasionally to do things that you find objectionable. That's why we compensate you. Right? 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 That's why you're you're compensated cuz it's a job. We're not always going to be on the same page, right? Um you're going to do things that you just don't personally agree with and if they're not unethical, immoral, legal or unsafe, you're obligated to do them. Right? And so, but it's the way that I communicate that to, to the people that I lead. And I think at the, at the fundamental level, you have to love people or you can't lead them. And what I mean by love is taking into account all that suffering we talked about that's inherent in being, um, it, it's that desire to relieve unnecessary suffering, right? To not make it any worse. You know, to not make yeah. it any worse. That's yeah. the key. Yeah. So, I, I, I love what you said. And because we say this in class all the time, you, you have to love the people that you lead and and we also believe you have to love the people that you serve you know otherwise you can't serve them in the way that expresses dignity expresses yeah. respect and, and those kind of things and, I, I, and, and I, it's not romantic love. no 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 you know, I, it's it, it, it's love for the for the human being for for the human essence yeah well look l- love yeah you're right that's a tricky word i mean yeah. that 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 itself is tricky and people that comes with a lot of baggage right yeah. but look the way you love carol all right um it's not the same as the first time you saw her and the first date you went on, right? Those emotional feelings that you had and all that, now they still may be there, but the true love part is when she's got the flu and you're holding her hair back as she's sick or you're coming home like I know you do and saying, look, Carol's probably had a long day. What's one thing I can do here to make her day or night a little bit better? And so love is, it's, it's, it, that's what you do, not what you feel, right? And so it's the same thing with us in serving people recognize the humanity of others and saying look rule one we, we're going to come up into all we're going to come up on all kinds of situations that are just horrible like little slices of hell right homeless people sleeping in a median with nowhere to go right domestic violence victims children that are abused people that are murdered or assaulted all kinds of things right the police can be called to rule number one from the perspective of love is don't make it worse and then rule number two is try to make it incrementally better Try to find a way to make that just a little bit better, but for God's sakes, don't make it worse, and never underestimate your capacity to make anything you touch worse, right? It's real humility rooted in that. So, so you're right. It's not the, and I like the way you said it. It's not the romantic kind of love that that you know that poems are are, are written right. about. Although that's an important quality of a healthy personal relationship with a you know yeah. with your spouse or whoever. Um, but but no, it's deeper, man. It's much 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 deeper. Yeah. It's a sacrificial kind of love. It's saying I'm gonna pick up my burden but you know what i'm also going to pick up a little bit of your burden when you're too weak to carry it right i'm going to help you until you're strong enough to get after it again yeah Yeah, i i I heard simon sinek one day use this analogy you know because because you know he said he his part of his thing is is that you know these emotions that we feel are rooted in a part of the brain that has no capacity for language that's why sometimes it's really difficult to to talk about language and so he said, you know, and I'll use myself as an example. He, he said, if I were to ask you, Chip, and I will ask you, why do you think I love Carol? Mm-hmm. You would probably say things like, 
Well, I, I may look at it a little deeper, but sure. I, I, I know you. I know Carol. I think you guys click in a way that you have common values and okay. common goals, and I think that there that she accepts you for all the things about you that are flawed, yep. right, and vice versa, and you've shackled yourself to each other no matter what yep. because of that strong feeling, that strong commonality. That I mean, that's like a quick analysis of why I think it's at the core of that. Right. I don't think it's because she looks at you and goes, man, Dan is just like people's sexiest man of the year every well, day, what, right? What, what wouldn't happen, right? right. Well, yeah, okay. but, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't happen for me either. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, I think it's deeper than that. I think it's the you guys are looking at each other and saying, look, we've got we've got things that matter to us deeply and they, they matter to us, they matter to both of us and we're willing to sacrifice and, and we're willing to grind it out and I'm willing to tell you when you got, you know, when you got food on your face, I'm willing to risk offending you in order to help you realize the best version of yourself. Something like that. I don't yeah, know. yeah. And, you know, oftentimes the, the response you get when you, when, when you ask that question is, not the deep philosophical response that, that, that I knew you would give me. Okay. But, but, but part of it's there, you yeah. know, because, you know, you, you said we, we have this attachment to mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. You know, we could go Jerry Maguire again. She completes me. Yeah, you know? sure, sure. You know, um, she's, you know, she, she, she's beautiful. She's all of these things. Yeah. But so many of those things, if I ask you why I love my yellow lab, Abby, mm. you would say that you could say the same things. Mm -hmm. How do you know it's different? Mm. between that because obviously it's different mm -hmm. i love my dog mm -hmm. but it's a different thing when it comes to that and so so yeah the, the, this idea of love is is a is a tricky word mm. to use and and we have to understand uh what what it means um yeah, yeah. And i think disabusing people of the knowledge that it's a soft right you know passive thing is 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 something that blue courage is striving to do and again, it's tricky because we're confined. We have language is how we communicate, yeah. and, and, and it, it bounds us. You know, it bounds us uh, appropriately in some circumstances, but it certainly makes it more difficult. And you know, at the end of the day, I, I think it's something worth struggling and contending with, because you know, love is about sacrifice, and you sacrifice every day you pin on that badge and go out there. You know, you're willing to lay down your life for people you don't know. Cops don't realize this. They don't say it out loud. But when you're putting that badge on, you're looking in the mirror, what you're saying to me and everyone else is this. If I have to today, I will leave this world in service of people I don't even know. Right. If there's an active shooter at McDonald's, maybe there's five of them shooting up a playland, and you're the only cop in the zip code, you're going in. Right. And those aren't good odds, brother. No. And you got a family you care about, and you got people you care about. You're willing to sacrifice the most important thing that you have, yeah. right, for people you don't even know. That's what you're saying when you put that shield on. That's a deep commitment. How do you not love the people you serve and be willing to do something like that? That's right. And and you, you talk about sacrifice, and, and the sacrifice I know for me personally, I didn't get as a young cop that we have to remember mm -hmm are those that we left at home. Mm. Because the, their sacrifice is every bit. They're at home with the unknown mm. every day. And the unknown is absolutely the worst, you know? That's and so I, I think that's a, a sacrifice that, that as cops, you know, when, when we talk about our loved ones and, you know, you've done it, you, you do introductions in class and, and you ask people to, to introduce themselves. And, and it always comes around to their family. And, and that type of thing, yeah. you know, yeah. and, yeah. you know, we, we love and care about those people the most, but sometimes we don't do the things or or show them, um, you know, that, that we understand that what they're going through. Yeah. And again, to me, 
and, and, and just kind of the transitional weight. Mm-hmm. The, 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 that's about leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, as, you know, we talk about leadership at, at all levels of, of life, and, and being a leader at home is, is a key component. But I want to talk about leadership um, with, with you just a little bit okay. um, here. And you've had several stops through your mm-hmm. policing career at different levels of the organization. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you have found success and challenges and maybe even some failures mm-hmm. when, when, it, when it comes to, to this idea of, of leadership as, as you see it um, through the, the, the way of being lens, mm-hmm. seeing people as people, um, respect, mm-hmm. all, all of those different lenses of leadership that, that you bring to it. So, so let, let's start with um, what has been successful mm-hmm. both in the immediacy but then, you know, you've moved on from places. Mm-hmm. Have you found that this, this way of being, the, this true leadership, not management, you know, the, the virtues and values of leadership have stayed in place? And what have those challenges been a, as you've moved on? Yeah, well, I think there's, there's a common theme to any successful leadership endeavor I've ever undertaken. And that, that is that ability to see people as people, that core that core truth about others, that way of being we've talked about, that, that is kind of the foundation for everything else. Because there's a lot of different approaches, right? You've got a lot of different leadership styles, as they call them. But, but ultimately, you have to adapt to the context and the situation, and that requires you really recognizing the personhood of the people you're leading. They have to, they have to actually feel that from you. On that, on that, like you said, that unspoken level, they have to really feel regarded in that way. That's foundational. Because if they, if they don't trust you, you can't get anything done. And growing trust is a natural process like gardening. You know, you can't plant seeds and then yell at them to grow. You know, they need, they need water, they need sun, they need time. And it's the same thing with building relationships. So that, for me, throughout all my roles, when I've been successful, and I haven't always been successful, that has been at the core of that success, that, that way of being that we're talking about. Uh, where I have dropped the ball was when I focused solely on correcting behavior without helping them shift mindset shift the way that they see themselves in regard to their obligations. Um, I remember coming into a unit that I was, I was basically sent in as a kind of to clean house. And I remember I had a, you know, my degree's philosophy heavy and I, sometimes I think I have some really good ideas. And um, but there's a, a concept called the via negativa and I think it translates into something like the negative path in Greek. And um, the story goes that um, Michelangelo created the Statue of David and the Pope approached Michelangelo and said, you know, Michelangelo, you've created this masterpiece of all masterpieces. How did you do it? And Michelangelo responds, simple, I just removed everything that wasn't David. Right? What a brilliant response. Yeah. Right? So you can apply that to life, in my estimation, you can apply it to life in so many ways. Like if you came to me and you said, Chip, I'd like to get promoted at work. I could say, well, Dan, I don't know how to tell you to do that because there are so many moving parts to that. There are so many facets and components, and there's timing, and there's politics, there's your competency, there's all those other things. You can only control so much of that. Um, you know, I don't know the exact formula for getting promoted, but I can tell you, Dan, and you can write this down, I can tell you everything you need to do to tank your chances of getting promoted, <laughs> right? Yeah. And we can reverse engineer success. Look, that seemed like a brilliant idea to me, right? Like I thought, well, this, I can approach this to getting fit. I can approach this to eating better. And, and, and it really works in so many domains. But it's not that damn simple, right, in right. leadership. So I go in and I just simply identified some behaviors they were doing that, that were getting bad results and started eradicating them. And so I started like saying, well, like, for instance, we weren't leaving copies of search warrant and return receipts at houses when we serve search warrants. 
which is required by the law, required by policy, right. but just wasn't happening, right? And they had all kinds of justifications around why they weren't doing it. Well, I thought, this is easy, man. Like a trained monkey could do this. I gave an order. Moving forward, we will do this. No excuses. Yes, sir. So I'm the very next warrant, I'm watching my officers. Watching the log officer, and he's writing down on, on the return receipt the things that were taken, and he's standing about three feet away from the homeowner, who, by the way, is a father of a convicted felon who was living there as a condition of his parole and was selling crack out of his back door while dad was at work. So imagine dad's mental state anyway, right? He's all caught up in that. Three feet away, he's writing this, uh, writing this stuff down the return receipt. He doesn't look at the guy, at the resident. He takes the paper off of the clipboard, and he throws it in his face. He just flings it at him and hits him and turns around and walks out the door. And I get, I become enraged, right? You know, I was prone to violence anyway, as you might remember. And I, I got enraged. I started going after this officer. And my assistant team leader, uh, Andy Kyle at the time, he stops me and he says, Hey, Chip, um, you know, I want you to realize something. He did everything you told him to do. He left a copy of that paperwork in plain sight where the guy could see it. And it blew my mind, man. I'm like, he totally did. And now I've come to learn right? It, I've come to learn that, that people can build their resistance into their obedience. They can do the things you're telling them to do in ways that are so damn maniacal, it undermines the whole mission. So, so for me, a big failure was just focusing on behavior, just telling people to do what I say, you know, follow the rules to a T. It seems so, it seems so logical. Sorry about that, folks. We lost our internet connection there for, for just a couple minutes, but we're back up and, and running. And so I um, want to take uh, one last swing at things here, Chip. And I, I want to, on, on the podcast I'm going to do, I'm going to have what, uh, what I call the final four. Just four quick questions. Okay, you've heard this before. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. Speed round, right? Yeah, that's it. Speed that's round, it. Right. J- j- just four quick things. You do know speed is not my forte. I, I understand. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Okay? So if there was one leadership virtue value that you said all leaders must possess, what would that one be and, and quickly why? Influence. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day that the purpose of leaders is to be able to influence people so that you can, locked inside every one of us is a better version of ourselves. And, and, and I think the purpose of leadership is to be able to influence others so that that better version can manifest. Cool. What's one piece or element of the policing culture that concerns you today and why? fact that we're disconnected from the public. Um, I think technology serves us and it also works against us. I think we've jumped on this 911 hamster wheel and we've taken to responding when there's a problem versus doing things that in the prevention space like building relationships, connecting with people one-on-one. Uh, you know, we've become, more, we've become more distant socially. Now I do see, I do see us trying to turn the corner there. Uh, but we're challenged by the volume of calls we have to deal with and the fact that we lack manpower. But to the extent we can get back to that, uh, building connections with people that we police and letting them have a voice in how they're policed, um, I think that's, that's, that's where we need to head. We've gone away from that a little bit. Okay. And what's one element of the policing culture that encourages you? Wow. So honestly, this is something that, that a lot of people uh, would disagree with perhaps, but it's the, the we'll say, so the millennials, you know, the, the Y generation, all these people that come up, I see such potential there. 
like a lot of people get frustrated when they look at those young folks coming on with the different perspectives. I love it. I love the fact they don't just blindly follow orders. I love the fact they question. I love the fact they make us better because they demand that we help them understand and see the purpose behind what we're doing. I, that's, I, I'm excited for what's going to happen in police in the next 30, 40 years as these more and more of these people that think this way move into management leadership positions. And then we, we kind of talked about this a little bit and, and how you feel about this idea of, of nobility in, in the profession. And so I'm going to frame the, the question a little bit differently than, than I might have. What is noble within the profession of policing? I think it's the fact that the men and women uh, within the profession are willing to sacrifice and willing to risk their lives and risk their safety. And it's not just their lives and their safety. Like we. That, that's the big stuff, right? But their financial well-being, right? There's all kinds of litigation and things to worry about. Their mental well-being. We're seeing all we're seeing all kinds of stress and, and and police suicides and all kinds of things like that. They're throwing themselves into the arena and they're willing to do that. And it's not for money. It's for the betterment of humankind. And I think that is the most noble aspect of what we're doing is to say, look. Um, I'm going to set aside what might be best for me in order to make things a little bit better for someone else. Cool. I, I, I appreciate the, the answers to those. And just so you know, what I want to do is, is I'm going to keep kind of a record of, of answers as we talk to people, these our thought leaders of today, and get their ideas and, and their input. And I don't know where it will take us, but, but we'll, we'll see. Um, Chip, I want to say thank you. Again, I'm going to use your words. Thank you for the gift of your time. Uh, today. Um, I, I greatly appreciate it. I think uh, our listeners uh, on the Blue Courage podcast will, will appreciate it. I know our master trainers uh, will, will enjoy this, and so I, I want to say thanks uh, for it. Well, Dan, thank you. Any excuse I have to spend a little time with you, you know, you've been uh, a mentor for me over the years, and, uh, you know, you really helped me kind of turn the corner a little bit in so many ways, and, uh, you know, I, I've always valued your perspective, sir, so thank you. I'm honored to, to, to be on and to be able to share some Again, I want to thank Major Chip Huth for his time. I also want to thank our listeners for taking time out to listen to this podcast and continue their lifelong learning process. The Golden Circle of Blue Courage, our why, how, and what. Our why, to illuminate a path forward so that we ignite transformation. Our how, to shape a guardian's heart and mind by meeting people where they are with love and no judgment. We courageously do the right thing while always exploring what is possible. Our what? Enhance the capacity of our people through education, practices, tools, and processes.